just uh, mention this right at first. We have uh, an outfit that the tribal people use, and, and especially ladies might like to come up and look at it. I'll just show you briefly. That's a heated outfit, and that whole, what you see there, if you pick them both up together, you'll find that uh, quite a load. Thank you for letting us come here. We really appreciate it, and um, I'll try to be quick. We work both in Indonesia and the Philippines, and I'm not sure if I can cover them both. So I'm going to try to move along. <clears throat> One thing that is um, often spoken of by missionaries is the work as it progresses. But sometimes what isn't, uh, there's not been a lot of attention placed on is where the people were before the missionaries came, the darkness that was there. And I want to spend some time on that. Uh, when we left the, the States, we went to the people that didn't have the gospel. When we came back, we came to the people who don't have the gospel. It's been quite a shift, the situation here. Okay, <clears throat> from darkness to light, that is the emphasis I would like to, to bring in because it's the transforming power of God. It's not the mission. It's the transforming power of God. It's not the way we bring the gospel. It's not the, the method. It's not the fact that we do it in the language or so on and so forth. It's the power of God. It's the only thing that opens people's minds to the power of God. When we went to Indonesia, I guess I can't really point out, but anyhow, Indonesia, as many of you know, because Steve Mann is here, uh, comes here, but anyhow, it's longer than the United States. And uh, just some, we, we moved to Pontianak to learn the national language, and then we moved interior to... Um, village, the, the Mbalo people, the village of Nanganyabao. Indonesia has a population of about 255.5 million, and the U.S. is about 321 million. However, U.S. has 5.3 times as much land space. So they are much more crowded over there. U.S. per capita income is about 57,000, Indonesia 11,000. But there's a huge difference. That doesn't tell you the story, does it? In America, bulk of the people are in middle class. In Indonesia, basically, they don't have them. You're either rich or you're poor. So it makes a big difference. It's the most popular, populous Muslim country in the world. Okay, we, I'm just going real quickly. We get into the village of Nanganyabao, where we lived, and the longhouse, the Mbalo longhouse, about 175 feet long, 36 apartments. Uh, some longhouses are built high up off ground. Uh, the one we went to, this one, was only 12 feet off the ground to the floor. It, they used to be high because during days of warfare, they had to have it high enough that people couldn't reach with a spear and, and kill you during the night. But they haven't had warfare. The oldest man in the village has never, never did see warfare. So it's a thing of the past. A few years after we got there, then this is a picture from the air. And you can see uh, on the, the uh, you can see over here the school building that the, that the Indonesian government put in uh, three years after we arrived. So it's just grade school, but it made a huge difference. Now, I don't know why this guy is moving on. Anyhow, uh, so this Jenny walking down the longhouse porch gives you an idea of, of the length. Um, the porch is a common porch where people make their baskets and weave their mats and so on and so forth. 
When there are meetings, then that's where the meetings take place. Going up the steps into the longhouse, notch log, and you can see meetings taking place there. If a government official arrives and everybody brings out their mats and sits down and listens to see all he's got. And uh, when we taught, taught in the longhouse. Just give you, my wife did the drawing. Anyhow, just give you some pictures of the people. And they have their party time it's on the longhouse porch, everything else. Party time, then the, the ladies put on the dances, and that's where this uh, outfit I have here, sample. They wear that, and they distribute the goods in the, the sweet stuff. My wife in this outfit. Just another glimpse, glimpse of the people dressed in their fancy outfit. I'm just moving along fairly quickly. You have children for two things. One is to help you in the work, and the other is to take care of you in your old age. And that, that's a really important part in Indonesian, but particularly the Mbalo tribal culture, because they don't have old folks' homes. They don't have government. The, uh, the person who takes care of you, you is your child. In fact, the way the Mbalo had it set up is you chose your favorite child to take care of. It wasn't necessarily the oldest, but by favorite, I mean the one you got along with. That's just the way. Uh, the older folks would do what they can, they get older, and even if it comes down to just bringing the child in the hammock, well, do that. Do what you can. Then one of the men working on the canoe. I want to spend a little more time. When a person would die, they believed that the spirit would go to this mountain, and they would live in spirit. They would make longhouses. They, they made rice fields. They lived just like here. They didn't believe in a heaven or a hell, and, um, but they were fearful of death. They were very fearful. So you've got, so when a person dies, I'll just give you an, a, an example. If a person dies, it's the wife dies, then they would build a, a little booth on the longhouse porch, and it would be enclosed with the nicest cloth that they have, and then the husband would have to stay in with the wife for a week. It used to be a month, but they had, by the time we got there, they cut it down to a week. Well, in the tropics, that wasn't a pleasant it wouldn't be pleasant if it wasn't. But um, then at the end of the week, the older ladies and the witch doctor would uh, circle, go in circles around the booth, saying to the deceased, okay, you've had your seven days of looking around at your family, you've had your seven days of looking at your rice fields and so forth, it's time to go. And so they were dancing around and saying, okay, it's time to go, basically, short and form. But anyhow, they... Each time they'd go around, they'd get another twig of another shot of beer. So by the time they got the seventh round, it was getting injured. But uh, then at the end of the seventh round, they would take off their, their headbands and throw them on the floor and run, saying, go, 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 get out of here. Um, and this one, it was the casket with the orange shirt. He uh, had just lost his only child daughter who was 15 years old. All his hope and uh, help for his wife, all his hope for caring for him, and uh, tremendously sad. It would be sad in him. There, they didn't worry too much about if it was a baby. They didn't worry too much about if there's an old folk. They would make the, the casket in the shape of a canoe so the person could take the canoe up to that mountain. They put their feet in it so that it faced the mountain. When they put the casket in down in the grave, they would put all the things they would need in the afterlife. You know, their mats, their hats, their pills, if they were using pills, and so forth. Then they would bury that. 
everywhere you went, it was all about fear of the spirit. And so you'd walk down the longhouse porch and you'd see these baskets hanging. It was offerings to the spirit. Certain leaves would attract the good spirit. Certain leaves uh, the evil spirits were afraid of. Certain flowers and so forth. You find these all down the longhouse. Here's a, a guard. This guy's out here guarding the village from the evil spirit. Made out of wood, of course. He's got his machete. He's got his spear. He has his shield. He's got the feathers in his head. And uh, he's guarding the village from the spirit. That there wouldn't be sickness or bad luck. About our ancestors, just about all of us, maybe all of us, go back far enough. Our ancestors, they worshipped. They had their idols. They, they had their fear of death and so forth. Not much different than, than the Imbalo. In fact, a few years ago, I was listening to the police chief in California, and he said 50% of missing children are cannibalized, or not cannibalized, are offered as sacrifices in America. We have what we call the Ouija board and all that. They had many things that, uh, that they were fearful of, like they had certain birds that were called bail. And the bale, if it flew from left to right when you were are going out to the rice field, that was a, an evil omen. Don't go out. Something bad would happen. If it flew into the longhouse, that meant the longhouse was going to burn down. And so they would build a small longhouse out front, and they would everybody would bring something from their apartment, even rag, whatever. And then they, as they beat the drums, the witch doctor would be saying, now, accept this instead of burning down the longhouse. And then they'd light light this little thing on fire, it would burn up, and this is an, a substitute for the longhouse. Um, <clears throat> down here you see another spirit basket hanging from, from the ceiling. You'd see these, uh, some of these jars they had here. They had certain spirits in them. Here's another guard out there guarding the place. You can see at the top of the notch log these two, two boys with a carved person, and that that carved person was to protect people as they went up and down the stairs, and uh, they would give offerings to it. I would spend a little time on this next one. Certain, uh, there's a certain tree called the Nunu, no, Tinkawang, the Tinkawang tree, that uh, only bore fruit once every seven years. And it was a particularly bad time for the, for the village. And so there would be a lot of sickness during the Tinkawang season. So they would go out to the to the Tinkawang tree, every family had a stick that they had carved sort of like a person, and uh, they would bring this out as a substitute, and they would put all of those substitutes around the Tinkawang tree. They built this little little house with offerings to the spirits and a notch log so the spirits could get up there. I don't know how they thought they couldn't do it anyhow, but anyhow. And then they would kill a pig, and while its heart was still beating, they would put blood on for people to protect it from sickness. Then they would cut off the head and they'd put it on a stake uh, with its mouth open to the sun, asking the sun to, to not allow evil to come into their village. They had sticks sticking up like that, sharpened sticks, to keep the evil spirits away. They had sticks like this, and those were to bring in the good spirit. Then they would have a long prayer. And they would call on God, they would call on Satan, they would call on um, the evil spirits, the good spirits, 
the spirits of the dead. They would call on the sun and the moon and the stars, hoping that somewhere in all this they could uh, prevent evil and bring in good luck. They lived that way. They lived with fear of the spirits day and night. <clears throat> there are certain trees, like the Nunuk tree. You never cut down a Nunuk tree because that's where the spirits live. You wouldn't allow the children to go around the Nunuk tree because maybe they would cut, but everybody had a machete with them. Maybe they would cut a spirit child. If somebody was sick, they'd put a, a cat under a, one of those round gongs, and it would meow all night long, and that would keep the evil spirits away. They would take sticks, fire sticks from their fire, and they'd knock it so that the sparks down below the house, and that kept, kept the evil spirits away. It was constant. It was absolutely constant. Don't go out in the, in the woods because that's what you just, um, so many things I'd like to say. But um, if, if, there, if it was raining when the sun was out, that was evil spirit. Don't point at the rainbow or your fingers drop off. That's the, that's the uh, walkway for the spirits. Um, here's this, this fella biting on a, a knife. When you bit, bit on metal, that would uh, give you special spot, special powers. If you were walking out on the gravel beach and you saw a particular stone that got your attention, you thought, hey, this is cool, take it home and put it under your pillow. If you had a good dream, that meant it was a spirit stone. In the morning, you'd put oil on it, and that was now something that would help protect you. You don't know where to stop because there's just so many things. Out in the rice field, they would have a portion of, of the rice field dedicated to the spirits. And um, if, if there was sickness in the village, they would make a little floating house and they would put offerings to the spirits on that. And then as the witch doctor would, would uh, chant, then they would set it in the river to float, float down river, keep the spirits, you know, make the spirits go down river. There's so many rules, uh, women, who were pregnant, so many foods they couldn't eat that they really should have been. Couldn't eat catfish. Spirits had told them not to eat catfish. That was your most plentiful fish. We got a lot of catfish the first few years and understand that they could eat catfish too. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then, yeah. If you had diarrhea, you weren't allowed to drink water. Boy, how good was that? It was just a constant fear. Oh, I want to tell you a little bit about this down here. You see this mountain? Oh, come on. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll move on. I don't know how to do it with this. Huh? Left arrow? I didn't know that. <laughs> you see this mountain down there? They call it Mount Tendek. They believe that there are many things you couldn't do to animals, or it would cause you to turn to stone. You couldn't speak to an animal like you would to, to a person. You know, mama pig's going along, and all the little ones squeal, 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 and you say, yeah, that's the way it is when you got a bunch of kids. Uh-uh, you don't do that. And this man was out uh, with his, with his uh, fish trap, and he, he got some fish. So he strapped it on his back, and he was heading home, and the strap broke. So he made another strap, and it broke. Well, he'd, in amongst the fish, he'd caught a snake. And so he said, okay, I'll use a snake then. Strap it on my back with a snake. And it began to lighten lightning, thunder, hail, and he turned to stone. And that's the mountain. That's how they got the mountain. 19, we left for the field, and these were our children. This is Tim now with his family. 
Tim, Monica, Rachnild, Rebecca, and Hannah. Dan and his family, and Dawn with her, her uh, two children. She's a machinist, Isaiah, and Josiah is in the Navy. And Becky, well, she went to be with the Lord in 1924. Shortly after she, she uh, drowned, we, we were planning already to move up into the tribe, and so we did. Ted and Sherry Spivey were our first partners. They were only with us for three years. They had to return to the States. And our second partner was, were the uh, Dicks, Wes and Brenda Dick, and they continue serving the Lord to this day. Um, Brenda, about six weeks ago, found out that she had cancer, and three weeks later, okay, when you want to learn language, you need somebody to teach you, but the people are busy. They're busy people. You're busy, they're busy. And they don't have time to sit around teaching, especially get into translation. Huh? No, you don't have time. And so there was one man who could because he had asthma. And with his asthma, he couldn't work in the field. He'd just start wheezing and he couldn't breathe. So he could do translation. He could do a teacher's language. Pat Tandis was with us for 20 years before he died. He died in 1996 when we were here in, in Sanford getting the, the translation ready for printing. He didn't get to, but he spent a lot of time with uh, One time he got up and shared with the believers, he said, you know, when I first got asthma, I was so angry, I was so bitter. My wife had to do all the work, and I couldn't work. He said, if it rained, I'd say, good, nobody else. He said, and then the Sharps came, and they needed help in learning the language. Well, I could do that. And they needed help in translation. Well, I could do that. And he says, for 20 years, I've been in the Word of God. He said, I'm, a lot of people helped us with translation. It's not just something that you can do with one or two. And so a lot of people helped us. There's Tamparan, Greta, and like I said, I started teaching sitting on the longhouse porch, and um, that's the way they did things. For five years, I did that. And then one day, uh, some of the people came to me, and they said, we have to build a building to, to study. It, up in the longhouse porch, it's, it's so distracting. The chickens lay eggs and squawk, 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 and the, the roosters crow, and the dogs fight and poop all over the place, and, you know. Of people come walking through after going fishing, everybody's going, ooh, they got a fish. And they said, we've got to do something about it. I said, well, what's your plan? And they said, well, we're going to build a, a building for us to meet in. It's going to be right over there. And we've decided to div divide everybody up into three groups, and you're going to be in group B. And it was neat. I love it. They're telling me what to do. That's the way it ought to be. And uh, it was their idea. They built it. And uh, I love it. Anyhow, and as we went on with our teaching, as they came to know the Lord, then they would teach each other. And here's Gain teaching Gadao. I'll read this uh, Indonesian, or uh, we call it Mbalo, translation of John 3.16. Yelalo latina matena dinen, kolea bara jaji kasanga alatala loka anak pentuari. Sampai anaka yang siseran da paruarang mate, mento na angkat mate dukung. So I'll give her a translation of that. That's the meaning of his death, because God's love was so great to us people, to the point that, that uh, his one and only son was allowed to die so that we wouldn't be judged with death, so that we would live forever, we who believed in him. 
along with translating, my wife is a translator, along with translating, she was trained to become a consultant. And that meant that she had to train uh, the other missionaries how to translate and then check their work regularly. There were 12 tribes when we were there, and so she was busy not only doing our translation, but helping others. And of course, you have to get there. It's a blessing to have the plane. Translation consultant work can be a lot of fun, but very uh, tedious, hard work, both. Uh, just give an example that was really quite humorous. Remember Marv Peel, right? Anyhow, Marv Peel was, was translated, and Jenny and I went in there, and she was checking his work. But at that time, he was translating from the book of Exodus, where God said, when I give the, the sound on the chauffeur, then the people come, come to the mountain, put it on. And so the back translation into English of what he had translated said, when you hear the long sound on the horn of a male goat, come to the foot of the mountain. She's going, hmm, I wonder what they understood out of this. So she said, ask them how you make the long, long sound on the of a male goat. The guy thought about it, thought about it. Finally, he got a twinkle in his eyes. He says, I guess you hit, hit him upside the head until he yelled. I think we needed a little adjustment. Anyhow, uh, there, were, there were very humorous times and there were very difficult times. Uh, some of the translators just didn't pan out uh, to be able to do the job. But uh, anyhow, there's in the church the young people, the children, the kids singing to the group. I wish I could uh, let you listen to them because it's quite interesting. And of course, there's the weddings. This is our <laughs> um, this is our daughter Dawn up here. Dawn and Haya were the best of friends. Of course, Dawn didn't have her sister anymore, and, and they became sisters. When Dawn and she and Haya were both uh, 12 years old, Dawn led her to the Lord, and they they learned to cook together, clean house together play together, whatever. They were just together. And to this day, they are sisters. Don talks with her often on Facebook. Really miss her. Well, the government sent in this uh, gentleman. He was a trained um, medical worker, nurse, and uh, we were so grateful. After 12 years of dealing with all the medical needs in the tribe, it was so good to have somebody who knew who it was. So Susanto came in. Not very long after Susanto came in, he came to us. He said, I've got a problem. All the girls are after me. What do I do? And he was sincere about it. And so we said, well, I've got just a girl. She's off doing schooling right now. And uh, when she comes back, see what you think. And uh, I had an absolutely beautiful marriage. Beautiful. Um, Susanto got a, a disease of the blood and the doctors gave him 10 years, but he actually lived 20 years on. There's Susanto, the upper. Susanto is his wife, Paya. Susanto was, even though he was a medical worker, a trained Indonesian person, he learned the language quickly and uh, fit right in with the people. And he was, he was humble. He was teachable. And for four years, I had a group of men that I was training to be, uh, to get do the work in the church, and Susanto was there all the time. Susanto and we worked together in the training for four years, and the village accepted, not just accepted, chose him to be the first pastor. And then Gaing, okay, this is Gaing, 
Gang was part of the group that, that we were training. And uh, he was a single man down here that were ordaining him to the ministry. He co-pastor with, with Susanto. Our gang got married to uh, Camisa. Yeah. Anyhow, the Camisa, they had one child. But when this child was 12 years old, he died of meningitis. He died exactly one year after. There's a tuck. There's Gang uh, marrying Pyatt's daughter to one of the young men, and uh, they carry on the ministry. There's a, in their culture, I don't know if I can make it, but anyhow, in their culture, they have what's called kodonangi. They didn't have singing. Nobody ever sang the tribe. But they did have certain specialists who chanted the history of the tribe. And Kinang uh, uh, was Tandas' was, uh, wife, and she was one of those specialists. So Jenny said to her, why don't you Kodonangis, that's what they call it. Why don't you Kodonangis, the chronological Bible lesson, Genesis through the, the resurrection of Christ, and of Christ to heaven. He did that. Of course, at first it was with tape recorders, and then it went to digital. And, uh, and then we were there for the very last lesson that she, she did, and it was so humorous to me. Uh, Hyatt's daughter sitting there with a cell phone recording this old lady, and uh, Hyatt was sitting there making sure that what was said was accurate, scriptural, and nothing added, nothing taken away. And uh, then uh, Hyatt's daughter takes out the chip, puts it in her computer, and she adjusts the, the sound. I'm going, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> You're a tribal girl. And so they, they duplicate those chips and pass them out all over the, the place. So those chips have gone everywhere. And the people, even though they have rejected the gospel in most of the villages, they love to listen to that. And who knows what the Lord But we have seen some come. Oops. This is a picture sent to me about us, about this just the way church meetings are right now. And we would go back. Uh, like I said, we moved to the Philippines. We would go back from the Philippines and visit. And we always had 10-day uh, seminars. And so we'd give them further training. This is just one of the groups. Some of those who attended. I want to talk a little, little bit um, in a bit about this young man, Kadad, and his daughter. And there's Pyatt's older daughter, Dina. Kundin, I wish I could tell you the story. It was pretty spectacular. Buntana, and of course, uh, Susanto and Pyatt. And this is uh, Gain. He had taught this girl through the chronological teaching. She came to know the Lord and uh, in church, giving her testimony, and then that day they took her down and baptized her. All this, after we, they're functioning fine, and I'm so grateful. I'll never forget when we were in New Jersey, before we became missionaries, I said to the pastor of the church, we'd like to become missionaries, and I'd like to, would you take me with you? He said, ministry is for the pastor, the grassroots. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to disciple. I love it when we can look back and the functioning Without it, they don't use their language, their culture. Okay, regarding the one I said we'd talk about, Kadet and his daughter. This is his daughter. This is her now. She uh, finished grade school in the village, and then, of course, like all the kids do, they're sent out to study to continue their education. After she finished her high school, she came back to the village, and Susanto said to no, Pia, uh, Gang, Gang said to her, Rina, how about if you get back into reading the Mbalo Bible. She said, 
it was kind of hard to switch back from Indonesian to Mbalo. But once she got into it, she says, it speaks to my heart. I want to do this. I want to, I want to translate the scripture for who don't have their language. So off she went to missionary training. She's finished the missionary training, and she's engaged to one of the instructors there, and they plan to go to a tribe, teach, translate. So right now, Lena is in, uh, in Nanganyaba asking the leadership there to, to direct. For years, I taught, for 20 years, I taught at a village called Tungaulu, very little interest. I think we had maybe three people who had accepted the Lord for 20 years. It just, there just wasn't an interest. And um, after we left, this fella here, Hinky, uh, Pa Hinky, he decided, he and one of the other fellows in the village decided they were going to take that responsibility upon themselves. We never discussed it, but the Lord led them. And when we came to visit, there are all these people who knew the Lord. I couldn't do anything in 20 years. It's the Lord's work. God is growing his church. I was just so surprised to see this. Anyhow, back in, this is the way the longhouse was back in 48, and then when we arrived, and they kept, kept improving it. It just got to be a beautiful longhouse, but it burned down. We were in church up there in Pennsylvania, and we got a phone call, and it was burning. Right? Nobody was hurt. Nobody got out. They lost it. And the way they handled that was such a wonderful testimony to the people around. Anybody who'd started a fire in the old days, accidentally, anybody who started a fire was executed. That, that's the culture. Now, of course, that has stopped. And now what it is is that uh, they're judged as the ones who started the fire that go to jail. Um, the village had the trial, which they had to do, and then they said, we forgive you. And they, they said, we're not going to take your land or anything. You're, you're, so villagers around are really surprised. And then the police, you know, when the longhouse burns down, they, they send the military and the police in because there's so much fighting. The police got there and they said, I don't have anything to do. Might as well go home. There wasn't any, any fighting. It was a great test of hard things. But aren't hard things for the good testimony in your life? There are many other aspects of the work that uh, we won't go into at this time. For instance, we did a lot of survey work and helped uh, new missionaries move into the locations, uh, medical work, and 12 years doing that, establishing intertribal conferences, of course, going to the yearly missionary conferences, the music ministry. I was wanting her to sing one. She wrote 70 songs, most of it with, she wrote the music also. Just to give you a glimpse, of the way the Indonesians do their their songwriting. Do re mi paso la ti do. Anyhow, it takes teamwork. Supporters like you folks, both financial and, and prayer, headquarters, missionary training schools, prayer warriors at the retirement center, and on the field, of course, school teachers and dorm parents. Although I'll say this about that, that's pretty much phased out. Most of the people now do, but that's the way it was when we were there supply personnel, pilots, field leadership, and of course, the tribal people. They're co-workers. Without them, might as well go home. We're immensely encouraged at what God has done with the Mbalo people, and uh, we love going back. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking. So may God receive all the glory for all he has done and is doing. Now, we'll, we'll jump real fast try to get through. We, in 1996, had finished the translation. The church was functioning well. 
it's time to move on. So we move to the to the Philippines, which is of course right north of Indonesia. And um, and after studying the the national no, not national language, Philippines is kind of different. Their national language is both English and Tagalog. However, they speak 120 languages, and there's certain areas that predominate in certain languages. Down south, it was Visayan. So we went, because uh, we went down south, we spent our time learning. Our son Timothy became missionary in the northern part, so he learned Tagalog. So we can't even, anyhow, uh, we moved up into the Talaandi tribe and, and worked there for five years. And then from there, we moved to Butuan City and were there for four years. Okay, just a quick shot of Butuan City. It's not a small village. A big, big town, and uh, I don't even know the population. And we we met Ricky and his wife. Ricky, uh, the children at that time were just little squirts, and uh, this is them now. Uh, their son, their older son, is in college. The younger son is ready to finish high school now. Um, when when we met Ricky, he was attending a church, a good church. He'd been there for three years. He was so untaught that he was still giving offerings. But he was hungry, and he asked if I could teach. I don't remember if I offered first or asked first. But anyhow, um, <clears throat> we studied every night, the family, and we would study together. And then he was so excited about it, he'd bring in other people. So at first I taught him, then he watched me teach others. The next group, I had him help me teach. Now he does all, all of it. Um, he turned out to be a, a wonderful disciple very teachable, very good at teaching. He, he's absolutely one of the best teachers. And now he's the pastor. He has Bible studies in his home every day. For his living, he drives a little motorcycle with a cab on the side to pick up passengers. But unfortunately, the government is, is uh, outlawing those. So he was kind of stuck. And we mentioned that to some of our supporters, and they're going to supply him with, with what's called a multi-cab. Use that. We just sent him the first thousand dollars. This next week, we'll be able to be able to send him the rest. To get the, we're really excited about that for him. When we were uh, teaching together, we started a, a group up in the mountains called, in a place called Afka. And when we left, there were probably four or five people that were studying. It was all new. When we came back, we decided to go up to Afka and see how things were going. This is our transportation. I don't think we were using. <laughs> We went up to the mountains and met with the people and were surprised that they had built a church building. Uh, you wouldn't recognize it, but that's what it was. Anyhow, we were surprised to see that it had grown that much. And here's a group of us together. Now, some of those came in on the truck, but there's a large group of them. In fact, they said there's too many of us meeting. We need to build a church. And so they bought a little chunk of land right near the highway, and here's the group now. Got this this just recently. I find it interesting that Ricky's son is the lead, and he's good at the piano. He and his brother are good at the guitar. Can't play a piano. Anyhow, Ricky is busy discipling. And uh, when we got there, we didn't know he had been discipling. We were just praying that he would. And we got there, he had three disciples. And then now he's got a, got more than discipling. Isn't it a joy to see them functioning, especially without us, even better without us? It's God's work, and we rejoice to have a part of it.
I would tell the people, because I've been so many places, I grew up in Brazil, I'd tell, tell the people, I'm like a sponge. I soak up a little here and soak up a little there, and everywhere I go, I soak up something. I'm just squeezing a little out here. And that's my job, is to renew things that God has brought me through and taught me. Hard things can be a blessing. When Rebecca died, I remember walking down the road. God said to me, I blessed you. Of course, my first thought was, hmm? It sure wasn't feeling like a blessing. But as I thought of it, I thought, that's true. How many Indonesians, and I can be a blessing. How close did heaven come? There were many blessings. Hard things can be blessed. Thank you.